Job chapter 12, reading from verse 13 onwards. To God belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are His. What He tears down cannot be rebuilt. The man who imprisons cannot be released. If he holds back the waters, there is drought. If he lets them loose, they devastate the land. To him belong strength and victory. Both deceived and deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped. He makes fools of judges. He takes off the shackles put on by kings and ties a loincloth around the waist. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows men long established. He silences the lips of trusted advisers and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on the nobles and disarms the mighty. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into the light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He deprives the leaders of, of the earth of their reason. He sends them wandering through a trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. Our Father, we thank you that you have preserved your word for us. For this is all we have, apart from your spirit that gives understanding and discernment. The entrance of your word brings light. So illumine our minds, we pray, as we look into your word. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. About 11 years ago, the Lord led me to make a serious study into what is called the attributes of God. When we talk about the attributes of God, we're talking about His nature, His, His being, who He is, what makes Him out to be who He is, His, His essential essence, so to speak. We're talking about those characteristics about God that describes His, His entire being, who He is, what's His nature, what is he really like? And as a result of that uh, foray into those studies, I ended up preaching about 15 sermons, touching on the various attributes of God, the holiness of God, the glory of God, the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God, God's omniscience, God's omnipresence, God's omnipotence. And the hardest of all, the most difficult of all uh, that I have needed to preach was on the wrath of God, which mercifully I shall not be doing this morning. So when Jono texted me that uh, if I could step in, I, I've been thinking about one of the attributes of God because of a personal journey that I'm presently going through. So I've been dwelling quite a lot on this particular attribute 
and that is the sovereignty of God. So I should like very much if we could dwell on this for a little this morning. To my shame, I had not quite understood God's sovereignty. I have sung the, the hymn, How Great Thou Art, countless times in my life. But then at that point in time, looking back, I didn't fully understood the greatness of God. And I perhaps, I hope I'm wrong, but if I'm right, I think many of us do not fully understand the sovereignty of God. Perhaps living in such a world such as ours, drenched with violence and senseless evil, plagued with disasters like tsunamis and famines and pandemics and troubled by every kind of unspeakable evil, perhaps living in such a world like that, we become a little ill-confident of God's sovereignty. We don't necessarily vocalize it, but perhaps some of us, we scratch our heads and we wonder whether God indeed is sovereign. Whether the classical doctrine of the absolute sovereignty of the Almighty God is even true. When Dr. G.I. Packer was asked which teaching of the Bible Christians are most prone to neglect, he said, I don't think enough Christians believe deeply enough in the sovereignty of God. We say we believe, but we still live as if everything depended on us and not on God. So I want to address three things this morning. First, what does it mean to say that God is sovereign? And secondly, I want to go through six areas in which God is totally, absolutely sovereign over. And thirdly, I want to ask what is called the so what question. If God is sovereign, so what? And that's how I want to end. All right, with that cut out for us, let's go to work. First, what does it mean to say that God is sovereign? I think we should let the Bible speak for itself. So I'll just rattle off some of these breathtaking statements in the Bible. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Job 42. Our God is in the heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Psalms 115. For the Lord Almighty has purposed who can thwart him. His hand is stretched out. Who can turn it back? Isaiah 14. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purposes. I have spoken and it will come to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Isaiah 46. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven. Daniel 4. I could go on, but I think suffice. We sniff just a little bit what it must mean to say that God is sovereign. Nothing has ever happened or will happen that God did not purpose for those things to have happened. 
everything that has happened, every single event that will happen, that God has purposed for those events to have happened. He has the authority, the freedom, the wisdom, and the power to choose as He will. And choose He does every single day. Right this minute as I speak all over the world, perhaps there are, I'm not sure, 4,000 people at this very single moment who has just breathed their last breath. And in every single one of those people who have just died this very moment, God sovereignly has taken away their lives. If God is not absolutely sovereign, if there is even a single event in this universe that can occur outside God's sovereignty, then how can we trust Him? It was R.C. Sproul who says, if there is a single molecule in this universe running randomly loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that God's promises will be kept. Sometimes we say of someone who is loud and rowdy and we say he's a loose cannon. He's a law unto himself. Now, usually we use those terms in a negative way, don't we? we say, when we say someone is a law to himself, we say it in a negative way, but in a real positive sense, God is a law unto himself. He is answerable to no one, subject to no one, influenced by no one. He does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. None can hinder him, none can compel him, None can influence him. Now, this does not mean that God is whimsical and capricious. No, it does not mean that. Because every action of God is consonant with his every other action. So, even if God should act in such a way that it would appear to you to be violent, it is consonant with his mercy. It is consonant with his righteousness. It is consonant with his deep sense of justice. So in that sense, he's never capricious, never whimsical. He never acts in any haphazard manner. He acts in such a way that he never ever sins. Now that is what we meant by the teaching that God is sovereign. And, you, and can you not see that if we should understand this, it will praise us, it will galvanize us, it will embolden us. And I'm not young now, but the more I look back on God's sovereignty in my life, it gives me great confidence. And it does not matter what happens to me. It does not matter. God is sovereign. So God's sovereignty, or rather the understanding of God's sovereignty, has a way of galvanizing you like nothing does. Right. The second thing I want to do is to run through six areas in our lives in which the Bible quite clearly teaches that God is sovereign. Now, I don't want to be insensitive here this morning because I know that this teaching can cut very deeply into some of you here this morning, especially if you are not in a place that you desire. You find yourself in a fix. And for me to say that God is sovereign over where you are at, 
the kind of relationships you are stuck with, the lousy job you are trapped in. I know that for me to go on listing these six areas in which God is sovereign in your life, uh, your heckles might go up. So what I want to do is I propose to start with those areas that are not likely to touch you personally. And then as I move through the six, you begin to find that it's close to home for you. Firstly, God is sovereign over all rulers and all kings. Now whether a leader takes the throne by force of arm, or through a royal inheritance, or through a democratic election, it is ultimately the Lord who puts a leader in office. He sets up authorities. He removes authorities. He enthrones rulers. He dethrones them. Daniel 2 says, Wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings. And he raises up kings. You hear that? He removes kings. And he raises up kings. Proverbs 21, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He moves it like he moves the stream in the river. And Romans 13, there is no authority except from God. So God stands sovereign over nations, over rulers. Without his decree, kings do not rule. No king makes a single move outside God's sovereignty. Now, this is great comfort, especially when you have a president who tweets like a cowboy every morning. Just saying. <laughs> Secondly, God is sovereign over a natural disaster. Now you watch on TV, earthquakes in China, famine in Somalia, volcanic eruption in the Hawaii, uh, hurricanes in the Caribbean. We watch people perish from massive flooding and tsunamis and tornadoes and drought. Hundreds of people perish in one instant, the word of God says, God decrees them all. You think of the famine in Ethiopia, and you have a verse that says, He summoned a famine on the land. He broke all the supply of bread. Psalm 105. Some, some years back, there was this massive fire in Australia. And you think of the verse in Psalm 104, He makes the winds His messengers, flaming fires, are his ministers. About 17 years ago here in Palmy, there was a spate of wind, ceaseless wind, that almost drove everyone insane with, with, with its howling and, and blowing. And then you read a verse like Psalms 147, he causes the wind to blow and the waters to flow, fire and hail, snow and cloud, stormy wind, Fulfilling his word. Or you get a verse in Mark 4 that says, Even the wind and the sea obey him. The Boxing Day tsunami in 2004 killed 275,000 people. There is a verse that comes very close to saying that it was God who shifted the tectonic plates under the Indian Ocean. It's from Job 38. Who shut up the sea behind the doors? 
when it burst forth from the womb and locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no further, and here shall your proud waves stay. If God lets go, the floods come. If God lifts his sovereign will over those tectonic plates under the Indian Ocean, they shift. God is sovereign over nature. Thirdly, God is sovereign over the evil and the good. Every tragic, whatever tragic, whenever a tragic, tragic event takes place, we, we make everyone responsible but God. Do you not find that? We would say that God did not cause it. Someone else caused it. We want to absolve God of all guilt. We want to acquit God from any blame of culpability. We are afraid to implicate God. We are afraid to trace God's fingerprints in some of the most horrendous disasters on, on this planet. We are afraid that people will be offended uh, if we implicate God with calamities. And for fear of offending people, we back off and we compromise from Scripture. You get planes flying into skyscrapers like a mammoth sledgehammer. Wham! Crashing through steel and twisting plates and crashing through massive walls and dredging through tiles and masonry and plowing through filing cabinets and family photos and human flesh. And then all of a sudden you get God waking up that this is happening. And he says, Whoa, I never saw that coming. What sort of God would he be? What sort of God would he be that he never saw that coming? So many Christians, when confronted with the disasters of 9-11, for example, would say something like, God allowed it to happen. That good might come out of it. John Piper rocked the boat when he boldly said, that is precisely what I will not say. And he says it is for two reasons why I will not say that God simply allowed 9-11 to happen. One, it is contrary to what the Bible teaches. And two, it undermines the very hope that it wants to offer. And I think Piper is right. We don't do God justice when we try to absolve him from the responsibilities of disasters and calamities. But let's take it from the word of God. Amos 3.6, does disaster fall upon the city and the Lord has not done it? Never. Never. Whenever a disaster falls upon a city, you trace God's fingerprint behind it all the time, every time. Lamentations 3.37-38, who can speak and I'm now talking about those people who plan in their caves, the Al-Qaeda terrorists. I'm not sure how many years of planning that went into 9-11 for those planes to crash into those skyscrapers. The word of God says, who can speak and let it happen unless the Lord has decreed it. This says two things here. Everything that happens, happens only because God decreed it. Two, it is from God himself that both good 
and the bad comes. Now, Jesus believed that the Father was sovereign over the bad, bad things in his life. Now, name me the worst thing in his life. Being crucified. And he traced it right back to the Father's hand. Remember, Pilate turned to him and said, remember what Pilate said to him? Pilate says, do you not realize that I have the power either to detain you or to release you? And quick as a flash, our Lord turned to him and said, you have no power over me except that which is given to you from above. Jesus sees only one signature on his death warrant. That order of execution was signed by his father and no one else. I'll read that again. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. In other words, that order of execution was given from the power from above. And we should not forget that. You know, the crucifixion was the most horrendous thing that Jesus have had to endure. And yet for him, ultimately, it was the Father's will. Isaiah 53 says it was the will of the Father to crush him. To be more precise, Isaiah 53.10, it is the will of the Father to crush him. After losing all his ten children in the collapse of his son's house, Job said something really marvelous, something not spoken by too many people today. Job says, the Lord gave. What's the next word? The Lord takes away. He sees the stripping away of his children as that which comes from the hand of God. And after being covered with boils, he says in Job 2, shall we receive good from God and not evil? Meaning, if this were a portion from God, I will receive it as well. And as if to make sure that none of us misses it, I'm so glad that scripture has Job 1.22. He says, In all these, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Of course Satan is real. Of course Satan is active in this world and inflicts terrible pain. And Job knew that it was Satan who, who smote him with boils. But Job did not take comfort in looking at the secondary causes. Job took great comfort, tracing it right back to the primary cause. Satan is on a leash. Sometimes God lets go the leash. And the leash is rather long. There's misery in your marriage. There's misery in your place of work. The leash is really long. But don't forget that at the end of that collar on Satan's neck, the other end of the leash is in the hand of God. It is in his perfect sovereign will to either, to either let the leash go further or to rein him back. Job sees the hand of God afflicting him. People like Job and Amos are able to stand tall 
because they see the unconditional, unreservedly sovereign hand of God. What a crying shame that you and I cannot blink bring ourselves to believe that God is sovereign. What a crying shame. And I speak that for myself. Fourthly, I, some of you may like this because it comes closer to home now in the sense of for your own comfort. God is sovereign over the actions that other people have concerning you, whether intentional or unintentional, that brings you grief. I'll say that again. God is sovereign over what people do to you, either intentionally or unintentionally, which brings you great grief. Let me put it this way. We often hear people say something like this. We often hear people say something like, in the providence of God, I met someone in the elevator and he ended up giving me a job. Fair. Yes, we do hear of things like that. But from how many people have you heard something like, in the sovereignty of God, that guy ran the red lights and I have been left paralyzed for life. We don't. But in both those cases, where they bumped into someone in the, so in the elevator who ended up giving you a job, or whether someone had just run the red lights and caused you to be paralyzed for life, both comes from the same hand of the sovereign God. Did the doctor misdiagnose your illness? Did the manager at work just block your career path? Has your university professor just given you an F, spitefully? Quite often we think that we are at the mercy of someone. You are never, ever at the mercy of anyone whatsoever. God is sovereignly working through your lives, through the thick, through the thin of your lives. The Bible teaches that all the evil that has fallen on you through the hand of people, whether intentionally or accidentally, will have to pass through the sieve of God's sovereign control. And God either permits it or He restrains it. But whether, whether God permits it or restrains it, one thing you may be sure, for people who love God, all things will work out for their good. Joseph's brother acted spitefully and maliciously against him, didn't they? Sold him into slavery. Potiphar's wife acted viciously against Joseph and he ended up being thrown into prison. But through all those difficult periods in Joseph's life, God was in sovereign control to accomplish his purpose through Joseph. Later, many years later, looking back, Joseph could look at his brothers in the eye and he says to them, it wasn't you who sent me here. It was God. Genesis 4, 45, 8. And later he added those very famous words, you intended harm for me, but God intended it for good. Genesis 50, verse 20. People may plot against you in your place of work. People may shoot off a few nasty emails about you and you may end up looking like a victim of their plot but are you not according to the scriptures 
Margaret Clarkson writes beautifully, and this is what she writes. The sovereignty of God is one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. The circumstances surrounding our lives are no accident. They may be the work of evil, but that evil is firmly held within the mighty hand of our sovereign God. All evil is subject to him. All evil and evil cannot touch his children unless God permits it. So no one can touch you. Literally or metaphorically, no one can touch you. Isn't that, shouldn't that embolden you? Shouldn't that just comfort you so, so much? And if God should allow it, if God should allow you to be molested, for some reasons I don't fully understand and I don't pretend to understand, it must be for our sanctification. It must be for our holiness, ultimately. Let's push on. Number five, God is sovereign over diseases and physical defects. Some years back, following the Second World War, we had what was called thalidomide babies. Some of you who are around my age bracket might have heard of those babies. Babies born without limbs. Just a stump from the head to the torso or so. Mothers took thalidomide, a drug that was then developed in, to help morning sickness in the early stages of pregnancy. Totally unaware, totally unaware, those scientists, of, its, of the defects that could follow. In Germany alone, 10,000 babies were born that way. And today, as I stand here speaking, 3,000 of those babies are still alive. All right, the immediate cause, the immediate cause for such defects may be abnormal genes or, or careless medical research, but behind them all stands the sovereignty of God, whose purpose cannot be thwarted. We often struggle with the question of diseases and physical defects, children born with speech impediments, children born without nose, where a nose should have been, there is a gaping hole. Born blind, born with some kind of a, a mental defect. Please bear with me. This is very hard. But I shall quote Exodus 14. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, says the Lord. Donald Gray Barnhouse once said, No person in this world was ever blind that God had not planned for him to be blind. No person was ever deaf in this world that God had not planned for him to be deaf. If you do not believe that, you have a strange God who has a universe which has gone out of gear and he cannot control it. Behind all diseases and all disabilities, we trace the supreme will of God. This does not mean that Satan is uninvolved. 
Satan is often involved in our sickness, but he does not have the last word. He does not. So the sovereignty of God over physical defects. Now lastly, very close to home, and that is to all of us, God is sovereign over life and over death. He has absolute control over the length of your days on earth. We live in a world where that's full of people who think that they are in control. But in reality, every single breath they pull in is a gift of God. Comes as a gift of God. The word of God is abundantly clear on this. Psalm 104, when you hide their face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die. 1 Samuel 2.6, the Lord kills, he brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, he raises up. Deuteronomy 32, there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death, and it is I who give life. I have wounded, and it is I who will heal, and there is none who can deliver from my hand. It is God alone who apportions to each one of us here this morning our lifespan. And he is not beholden to anyone if he should take it away this evening. I preached on Psalm 90 about five weeks ago and, and I remember saying something like he will take 155,000 lives before this year is over. Sorry, before this day is over. I'm, just, I'm sorry. 50, 50, 56 million people die each year. Seven to 8,000 people will die from the time we began this service to the time you break off for lunch. And 3,000 people would have died by the time I started speaking to the time I finish. But whether God takes it away at 7 or 87, He is beholden to no one. He is sovereign over life. He is sovereign over death. Most of these will not die peacefully on their bed. Many will die young. Many will die from a bullet wound others from an illness, but for each one who dies, God decides when their last breath shall be. And when God takes away life, he does absolutely no wrong. I'm never tired of saying this. Those who have been under my ministry for the last 20, 30 years would have heard me speak, say this again and again and again, because I truly believe that God is beholden to no one. All right, we're on the home stretch now. Now to the so what question. If God is sovereign, so what? How shall we then live? I have a few pointers for us. First, if God is sovereign, there is no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as coincidence. No such thing as fate. You know something? If I should take a little canister now, 
with a dice inside. And I shake the dice in that canister and I throw it. You know something? Even as to how that dice will end up. Even a thing like that is in God's hand. And there is actually a verse in the Bible that says this. Proverbs 16.33 We throw the dice, but its decision lies in the hand of God. So, that being the case, there's no such thing as chance. Although gambling, we call it a game of chance. There's no chance there. Secondly, because God is sovereign, I need not be paralyzed by every single major decision that I will have to make. Now, I want to be very careful here. I'm not asking us to be careless about whom you should marry, which city you should live in, what job you should take. I'm not saying that we, need to be, we should be careless about that, but I'm saying if you should make an honest mistake, God's sovereign hand is also over that mistake that you would have made. And he can redeem it, redeem it rather for good. Thirdly, believing in God's sovereignty will help you to face your own impending death. I'm not young, but my confidence in God's sovereignty grows stronger year after year after year. And at this point, as I stand here speaking, I do not fear death. Because if it is his ordination, I embrace it with joy. Of course, you're sad for those whom you leave behind. But in your own heart, you're absolutely peaceful knowing that what God chooses is far better than what I could have chosen for myself. In my stupidity, in my stupid, st stupidity, I may want 15 more years. God is far wiser, far, far wiser. And that gives me great comfort. But the thing is this. If God does not will for you to die. If he has work for you, you shall not die. I like what Henry Martin says. He says, if God has work for me, I cannot die. And then George Whitefield, I am immortal until my work is done. I like to put it myself in a different way, and that is to turn it around and say, my work, until my work is done, I am immortal. Fourthly, because God is sovereign, you will have a deep security and confidence that you will otherwise not have. There is much in life that will unnerve you. It is an evil world and the world is getting darker. I don't have to remind you. But because God is sovereign, you can walk with a bounce in your step. You can. You can be very secure. Whatever the lab results will show next week. However, the, the retrenchment exercise in your office will pan out. It doesn't matter. You're at peace. Life can throw the kitchen sink, the entire kitchen sink at you. It's okay. You can take it. Because it's God who ultimately throws it at you. And no one else. So be emboldened. Be galvanized. Be comforted. When fear grips you, remind yourself that God is sovereign. When you know assuredly that it is God who has brought you to such a place, to such a marriage, to such a relationship, to such a job, to such a city, you will experience comfort and peace. If God is sovereign, 
you are in the hand of if God is not sovereign rather you are in the hand of chance and fate and Satan but God is sovereign no matter how maddening life is or will be if God is sovereign you will be greatly greatly comforted so let me encourage you let us build our lives based on this wonderful attribute of the sovereignty of God let's not buy into a God who is puny and helpless and tiny let's stop buying into all that froth and bubble out there that gives no comfort neither give glory to God I like to say that again let us not buy let us not buy into all that froth and bubble that people are presenting to us it gives you no comfort it gives you no glory to God the sovereignty of God don't lose it dwell on it meditate on it let us pray